Welcome to the 60 Plus Podcast. I'm Janet. And I'm Joe. How are you today, Janet? I'm great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, what are we talking about today, Janet? Well, you know, we started about retirement in last week, talking about the emotional aspects, when to decide it's right, how to decide it's right. And this week, we're going to talk about the financial aspects, and we have a guest speaker. We do. He's sitting right across from me. We always act like I don't know who the guest speaker is. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. We have Jim. Hi Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nice to see you guys. Same yeah. here. Same here. Thanks for coming in. As Janet said, we talked about some of the emotional and psychological of, um, things you need to consider before retiring. Which is, pr- which is probably more than half. You think it's more than uh, it's half? It's huge. It's huge. Well, that's interesting. Mm. I, I wouldn't have put it at more than half, but uh, that's yeah. interesting yeah, because I you're would... dealing with people about this all the time. Yes. So why do you say it's more than half? Well, I mean, I think the... Um, a couple components, right? P- people have a tendency to know it's coming. Yes. And um, it's like something really big, like cleaning out your basement and you've, you put it off and you put it off and you yeah. avoid it because it's a tough thing, right? Yeah. To know that your life is going to completely change and you're going to be doing something else. So it's really something that um, um, you have to do over a long period of time so that you get psychologically ready for it to happen. Right. And, my experience is that's every bit as big as the numbers, mm-hmm. actually. Right, right. So, oh, that's good to know. I yeah. So, it, I, 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 that's, so our two-part series is actually going to have a nice balance between the importance of those two two episodes, and it'll cover everything. We'll be done. We'll be done. Well, yeah. we'll have to revisit, I'm sure. Yeah. So, Jim, why don't we talk a little bit about why we've asked you to come in and talk about the financial aspects of of retirement. And, and I should point out, nothing here should be construed as financial advice. People should get their own financial advisor, correct? Yes, right. absolutely. And, right. So I am an advisor and I am also also have a stockbroker's license, but um, I, yeah, this is in no way should be construed as advice, just, just maybe observations of what I've seen. Sure. I started in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe it's gone by so fast, but um, got to see um, and started getting involved with nonprofits. So it's sort of another aspect okay. of, um, because that's the charitable component. And, you know, made some assessments along the way, had some beliefs, read a lot, and then added when I started working with people and the nonprofits. You know, the big picture really is you're trying to live your best life. Right. Right. And then you're trying to make an arrangement so that that can continue the best it can into your retirement. And then at some point, there's this legacy component mm-hmm. of what are you trying to do after that if you have assets left that you want to pass to somebody else? Some people might be good with giving those to the government and other people not so much. No, we don't. And so that requires some planning. Um, for why, people why would they be giving it to the government? Well, if you if you don't, it depends what your level of assets are. If you don't plan, at some point, the government um, taxes your estate. And in Massachusetts, um, they just raised the amount um, over a million. Now it's up to two million. So anything over two million um, is taxed. And the at the federal level, um, it's and that's a, total assets, including um, everything, house, assets. life insurance policies. Um, so they, those, especially here, those things can add up very quick. Mm-hmm. And most people are, you know, bumping up. And that number um, pretty quickly. Um, the federal number is way higher, and most people aren't in that thing. And um, 
So I'm planning that that last component of, you know, having a life, having a decent retirement and enjoying that. And then um, the, the legacy estate component. So I think it's really important over your whole life that you, you have that entire picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps make better decisions. Considering our audience, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but instead of you know getting into a lot of detail, just big picture, like what would be the two, three, four, five things you would do to try and maybe understand where you are financially um, and whether you can retire? So that's an excellent opening question. Certainly you don't want, whether it's a psychological component or the actual, the numbers component, you don't want to have it be a surprise of what those are when you're 65, right? Mm -hmm. By far, one of the biggest things you could do is just write down what you spend on a piece of paper every month. Mm -hmm. Doesn't even have to be detailed. Credit card total, cash total, check total, write it down. Mm-hmm. Right, every month you should know that, and that, and that should something that becomes instilled in you. So if you have a part, if you are, if you're with a partner, if you're with a partner, then um, both people don't have to do it, but somebody on the team has to be doing it. So that's super important. And so I would say probably the number one thing is to start to get a sense of what your cash flow are. The mistake people make after that is I have this cash flow, I know what it is, but there are big items that are ahead of me, medical. Maybe something with your house could replace all the windows in your house to start to account for those. Mm -hmm. Here's an investment that has nothing to do with the money component. And I want to touch that is establishing a network of people, because one of the biggest things in retirement is not having a good social network. Okay. We talked about that last week and the the emotional and psychological effects. Right. So um, from the money number standpoint, I would say like number one step is just really start getting a sense of what you're spending. And, um, and then the other part, and then the assets are going to be what the assets are if you're already 60, right? There's so much, mm-hmm. there's only so much more you can get in there. Now, can you also protect that in a trust? Uh, I think it shouldn't be more complicated than you need to make it, mm-hmm. right? And, and I always try and do the big picture. And I always say to your family's like a business, mm-hmm. right? You have income, you have expenses, you pay taxes, and you have risk also in Right. Your, and those are all the things that a business has. And um, so, you know, you're running your business all the way to get to this transition point. You know, the, the planning of in total is an important thing. One of the things I think people get confused about is when to draw on their Social Security payments. So I was born in 1960. That's the first year for people that full retirement age is 67. Right. It, it was lower before that. And then yes. you know, lucky me. <laughs> what are your thoughts about how people should decide when to take Social Security? So one thing I learned, it didn't take me long to figure this out. It depends hugely on the person's other factors, right? Who was the high wage earner if you're married? Mm-hmm. In that situation, it might be good to try and wait later because if, that, if you pass, then the other person gets a higher income stream after you're gone, mm-hmm. right? And it depends on people's health. Depends on if they have children. Depends on if there's a disability claim in there also. So it's not a cut and dried thing. But I can tell you this, when you start taking Social Security before your full retirement age, it's painful. (laughs) Because because it gets reduced. You get reduced. I think it's like 6% a year. So what I I always do is like, um, I'm pretty decent with numbers, but instead of trying to memorize all the numbers, this is something I got from being a pilot, right? 
your instructor used to all yell at you, don't guess at the answer, go to the source document. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of stuff, the source document is Mm irs.gov. You know, it's a free, what's the IRA limits this year? Don't guess at what it is, just go look it up. Well, because you you may know what it is and then a month from now they change. A lot of them are indexed to inflation, the numbers, right? I think you you shouldn't rely on your memory to <laughs> go look at what the actual numbers are this year. Right. You know, the number for gifting isn't going up. It's, it's gone up quite a bit. So, so I, look, can I, I just actually, oops, sorry. clarify um, what you were just saying, that it, if you take Social Security early, then it, they start to reduce it? Yeah, oh, I'll buy a lot. It's 8%. It's 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 8% for every year early that you yeah. take oh, Social Security. Oh, I didn't know that. So if your full retirement is um, I know 67 and you retired 65, do you do 16%? Yeah. It, it's non-trivial, right? Right. But but if you get to that point and you have, you know, there's health issues are a factor and you might not, you know, go that much further. Um, and it, so it, it depends what you have going on and in, in your situation that... I remember talking to somebody once and I go, I said, I think they should raise the social security age so it's more solvent. And they were kind of upset by that. Right. And I don't think they knew that it was already up to 67. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, the other thing is too, is that you are you can make money without it being reduced. But then once you make over, I think it's 22,000 now. Well, they'll, yeah, at they'll the be- reduce at, it again, right? Right, right. at the beginning, um, before that, there's also a penalty if you work too much. Mm-hmm. You have to take in all the particulars, like I said. Um, what are the things they have going on with their family, with their spouse? What other assets they have, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all things being equal, if you have a ton of assets, that might be worth it to wait to later. So there's a lot of variables on the table. I always used to, th- I always thought it would be just like one simple formula. It's not at all. So if somebody has a lot of money, for example, say in an IRA, and they're going to be forced to start taking required minimum distributions. Right. And they've been moving the age up on that. When you say up, you mean earlier or later? Later. Um, they w- let you go later before you start taking okay. the RMD. Um, and that's a moving picture, right? Because all those rules are political footballs. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can wait to take your R- RMD. But some people might want to start taking money out of their um, IRA. Because if you wait, you have so much in there. Mm-hmm. Now you're being forced to take a payment that's really making the things bad. So if you start taking money out of your IRA so it doesn't get too big, then you might want to wait on Social Security. Right. I make a spreadsheet and I do the columns by year. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of what if scenario, right? What if I take Social Security here? What are all the factors that pluses and minuses? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what if I start taking money out of my IRA and I just wait on the Social Security because I'm married and I want my spouse to have a higher payment if I leave leave the, the earth? So um, it, it really, it, it's not... It's not cut and dried. It's not cut and dry at all. You and I have talked about this before we, we recorded this. And you said one of the most important things to know when you're starting to consider whether you should retire or not is how much money is going out every, every month. What are your expenses? So you know what you need in retirement, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, you know, how much do I need? I was flying with a friend of mine and he goes, what's a good number for retirement? Right. <laughs> And I said, well, how much do you spend? And he goes, look, don't dodge the question. <laughs> don't dodge the question. And he, and he kept he's kind of like pounding on me. Like, you know, we've had a few beers together and I see how you live. I go, you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to be fine because mm-hmm. I know what you make and everything. But I, I think um, that's a characteristic of p- people who uh, amass 
uh, wealth is they know what their expenses are very much in detail. Like if you look at the look at the book uh, Millionaire Next Door, mm-hmm. that's one of the characteristics of common of people that amass wealth is they know in detail. I used to make these giant financial plans. Nobody read them and they become obsolete in like two months, right? Mm-hmm. So now I just make a one-page sheet, right? Here's what you're making this year, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere over here, five years from now or six years from now, here's all the assets you have accumulated and what you can generate based on the assets that you've accumulated. Hey, look at those two numbers of what you're making now and what you're going to be making over there. So if what you're making right now is you're not saving any money, and what you see over there is only three quarters of what you're making now. There's problematic. It's problematic. Right. And but the, that's another way of saying you really need to know what your expenses are. It makes it visual. Are there any rules of thumb, like how much you should have set aside for retirement based on your income if your lifestyle stays the well, same? I can't. Well, come at it from the other way around. I always thought that this was back. How much should I save for retirement? As much as you possibly can. Mm. A more of a rule of thumb that's come and gone is how much can you take off your assets at the end and not outlive your assets? But you don't know how long you're going to live. Well, so you can go with statistics, right? You sure. have to have some statistical um, thing. And if you want to be conservative, you can say it's into your 90s, but you know, the average life expectancy is, is going down actually because of the COVID. But, um, but you could say, I want to have a 99% chance that I won't outlive my money before I get to 85. Mm-hmm kind of average it out. You could put some hedges in there, like that's what an annuity might do, right? Mm-hmm. And cover you if you, on the off chance you live to be 110. But I come at it more from how much, you, not how much should you save. I'm telling you right now, 4% is a decent number of what you should be able to take when you get to retirement off your assets and have them last for the rest of your life. So 4% per year? 4% per year. That's what the RMD really is. If you look at the required RMD minimum. required dis- minimum distribution. So when you take money and you put it in a workplace plan, for the most part, most people have not paid taxes on that. Correct. So when they get to retirement, the government wants you to get all the money out of there so you can pay taxes on it before you leave. That's why they force you to start taking an RMD. That's a normal IRA. If you go to a Roth IRA, you don't have to take the money out. But it turns out that the RMD is... I, I didn't, haven't done it in a percentage. It's probably slightly less than the 4%. So almost all the clients that I've had over time have had money left in their IRA when they're taking the RMD when they pass. Mm-hmm. So, so, there, so on average, there has been some residual there when they've taken that right at the RMD. You can always take more than the RMD. Instead of saying, how much should you save? <laughs> you know, for almost everybody, it's as much as you can. But I can tell you that when you get to that point, taking 4% out is a rational amount to take the thing to take out of there. Assuming that the total amount in there is sufficient. That's why I, I open with how much should I save? As much as you possibly as can. As much as you and, can. And this is another thing that I've noticed, right? People save a certain amount of money. I'm always trying to encourage them to save more. They get to retire and they're like, oh, that's bigger than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, imagine what would have happened if you would have put the extra $10 a week in there, mm. right? Because it, it's really hard to communicate 25 years down the road that if you would have put 10 more dollars a week in there, that would be a much bigger number. Right. And I've seen it and everybody has the same reaction. Another thing that happens I see very common is people have multiple accounts. Mm-hmm. 
and they never really put them all together in one place. Mm. And first of all, they put them all together. I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I was just kind of squirreling it away here and there. And I didn't, okay, let's put it all in one place. And then you can maneuver better normally when it's all in one place. And then if it's done right and the mix is right with assets, then that result is normally when people take the RMD for the rest of their retired life, there's something left over. Okay. And I, and I think that's the way the government structures it, right? I mean, I don't... <laughs> I don't think they want the people running out of there. No, but they want to get the tax. They want to get the tax. So there's some balance in between there. Most of our listeners are at least 60 years old. Most of them. We have, we have some younger listeners too. But does it make sense if you put something into an IRA, does it make sense to convert any or all of that before retirement into a Roth? I think that fits very, very few people because it starts to get more complicated than it's worth, right? Most people, when they retire are not in a super high tax bracket. Mm -hmm. If you were in a really high tax bracket and you needed that money to live, that's to me the, the compelling part about a Roth, right? Or you didn't need the money at all and you could get it into a Roth and you never have to take it out for the most part, and then you can give it to your heirs. Mm -hmm. So you never have to take it out. Most IRAs have small fee in them. Mm -hmm. So you gotta have enough money in there to make it worth the, the fees in there. And then you also have to, um, there's things you can do in an account that has $100,000 that are different than when you have $25,000 or a million dollars when you have Such as. like maneuvering, right? So um, when you go to buy treasuries, say you wanted to buy treasuries, which, are, which is a great idea right now because they're paying so well. Um, when you go through and look at the lots of treasuries, they don't come in small lots. Okay. You know, you start getting limited on what you can do. Some mutual funds or other things have minimums to be involved in them. I learned that as my account size has grown, that at different levels of money, you have different maneuvering options available. And so that's something that you should look at on, right. on so a quarterly you, basis? Or? Well, so if you take off part of your assets to get them into the Roth, let's say you take a hundred, let's take a hundred thousand dollars just for a second, and you have that in an IRA. You say, I want to take 10,000 and put it in a Roth, right? Well, mm -hmm. you, what you're going to be able to do in the Roth is very limited. Mm -hmm. And it's not worth the conversion, in my opinion, and it's not worth the fees. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you go and into it, it has to be a really substantial effort to make it worth the maneuver. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, you know, trying to estimate how much you're going to need in retirement and, you know, looking at your current income, but also you have to look at your current expenses. And how do you project or try to determine how those might change. I'm thinking specifically about healthcare. Yeah, I, I think healthcare is one of the hardest ones. And healthcare is an expense right from the very beginning, because when you turn 65 and you go on Medicare, that premium comes right out of your Social Security. And that premium, most people don't know this, that premium is affected by the income you have in a year. So that's graduated also. Okay. So there's an opportunity to try and manage the income you're taking, again, to stay in a lower bracket So if the health care premium affects you. Some people do long-term care insurance. I think that's becoming less popular because for long-term care insurance to kick in, you have to meet qualifying criteria, which is very, very difficult. And some of the long-term care companies have shifted around quite a bit. They didn't like that business, right? So they sell their portfolio to somebody else. Like any insurance too that you would get, it makes sense if you feel like you have a strong history that you might be in an environment like that for a long time. I think heredity matters like any insurance product, right? Insurance is meant to distribute risk. 
That's what insurance companies do. So when you're going into an insurance pool for either life insurance or long-term care insurance or whatever, you would like to be at the part of the pool that you're making it a good deal for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there are spousal arrangements with long-term care insurance also so that if one spouse goes, there's advantages for the other spouse that remains. So some people do long-term care insurance. It's not cheap. There's a level of assets, in my opinion, that you can manage your own way through. And then there's a level of assets when you retire that if you want to pass things on to your heirs, then there's arrangements. You start tracking your assets, you manage what comes in and goes out. So then you can start qualifying for Medicaid and help for that. But that's a program that's not cheap, and it and it applies to people that are sort of like in the lower middle asset. You have to impoverish yourself in order to qualify. You, you, you do, and most people, most people in, that I have run into, are not willing to go down that road. Um, well, one of the problems, and um, for this... somebody who's trying to save their house for their kids, mm-hmm. that might be a reasonable maneuver. One of the problems with it, and I don't know if it's still the case, but it was a number of years ago where the rules kept changing. And yes. Medic- Medicaid planning, you, you couldn't reverse it. You, you put things into an irrevocable trust and you couldn't change it. And then the rules changed and, and your plan didn't work anymore. So you were kind of stuck. Right. And Medi- Medicaid is a f- federally funded state distributed thing, right? Which mm-hmm. is also subject to f- funding whims of the government. I think it's very difficult, but I think for most people too, the shift of, you know, the medical expense is coming make that part of the plan that almost always involves for most people, some shift in their housing, mm-hmm. right? Because if you live in a big house where you raised your kids or lived a good part of your life, and, and then that's usually one asset that gets sold to cover some of that. Right. Right. All right. There's, there's one other thing I want to talk, and we're running out of time. So uh, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, and it's debt. You say you're in the house and you've got a mortgage and you want to pass the house on to the kids or you don't want to sell it, right? Right. For someone that is several years out from retirement, would you advise that they pay down the debt so there's less debt in retirement? Or is that, that money that, you're, that you would be doing that with better put into the retirement plan? I would never say blanket advice, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because my experience is that the problem with almost every business and family is cash flow and knowing what the cash flow is, what's coming in, what's going out. I'm old school. I write it on a yellow pad of paper. Most people have trouble with cash flow because they don't really have a good sense of what's going out, coming in and going out. And since that's most people's problem, I would say do not pay down the house unless it's some exorbitant rate, like in the 70s mm-hmm. of 15% or something, mm-hmm. because something's going to come up where you need the cash. And the last thing you want to be for, for almost all people is trying to untangle the house again to get the cash back right, out. Right. Because you paid into it. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's not a blanket solution, but for most people, and especially the people who financed their house over the last 12 or 13 years, where the rate was so low, so the rate's a consideration. But for most people, no. Would you say it's because... All the- Almost all people need the cash. Something comes up they didn't expect. I need $5,000 for X or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I really wish I wouldn't have paid down my house. Mm-hmm if they're carrying a low, in, relatively low interest loan, right? It's worth it to pay the interest on the house loan to have the flexibility with the cash to maneuver. 
And because the equity hopefully is growing faster than the money that you could I'm have. I'm not talking about growth. I'm talking about you don't no. want to get stuck on cash flow. Sure. Right. You need cash. And that is a huge it's a problem for companies. It's a problem for nonprofits. It's a problem for people in general. Right. We're going to have to have Jim back at some point. Yes, we might uh, have to have part three. Part three. Not, maybe not next week, but, but sometime soon. I'd be glad to come back. All right. That's, that's good to hear. So Thank much. you for coming in. This has been really interesting. No financial advice given here, but get your own advisor and get a qualified advisor. Don't, don't rely on Art Margaret or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, until next time, this has been the 60 Plus Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Janet. Bye. <laughs>